0: I can electronic device it to death, but we need you to do this. one. I'm a child of God. Having my hand, powerful word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, Shadrach, Meshach, and away we go. You're never going to forget those three names, by the way. You're always going to say, away we go. And that's not really his name. It's (laughs) Abednego. But when you're a little kid, it sounds like, away we go. How many of you remember as a kid playing a game called King of the Hill? Girls, did y'all play King of the Hill too? Oh, you played with the boys. You played the King of the Hill so you could knock the boys off off the thing. I mean, it could have been a little hill. It could have been a, a porch. Could be. That's where we, ours was on the porch. A lot of that stuff went on. And the object of the game was to whoever's king to pull them off or knock them off. And you jump in and you become the king for a brief moment. <laughs> the greatest story that I have about King of the Hill was my brother, John. Many of you have met him. He preaches down in Brownsville, Texas. When I was a senior in high school, we went to church camp together. He came as a college intern, and I was getting, getting ready to get out of high school. And so we were there in the summer at church camp, and I don't know what compelled him to do this, but he got a stick. He said, stand still. So I stood there. He got a stick and took it about, oh, about five feet out and drew a circle around both of us. And then he yelled at the top of his lungs, got everybody. It was a high school camp. Got everybody to stop, come over. He said, Okay, we're king of the circle. See if you can get us out. I looked at him. I said, What are you doing? He said, Oh, we got this. Let's go back to back. They can't knock us out. Well, there happened to be that week three young men about the size of Billy and Big T and Derek. (laughs) And so all the kids laughed because these Goliath-looking guys showed up. And it got ugly. I mean, they were nice to us. They stood in the back and let the little ones come up and bounce off of us. All right? And they did. We'd grab them, throw them around, and all that stuff. But then they had enough. So they all three got got arm in arm and came running toward us. And I looked at my brother and I said, which way are you running? <laughs> he said, you better stand your ground. So we stood our ground. We weren't king of the circle much longer. <laughs> in fact, I woke up about two days later, I think it was. But it... Reminds us that the position of king changes. But it's not supposed to change with Almighty God. Who's the king of your heart? Jesus. Jesus should be the king of your heart. should be no question about that. Amen? But we tend to let others... Get in the place of God and become the king of our life. From the day that you were born, there was a drive within you to be the boss. Some of you have really done it well. You really think you're in charge. Some, some have developed a skill to use a lot of words to manipulate deflate and discourage people with their words. Because words will do that, amen? Amen. Oh, they will. They will also lift you up. But people have learned and mastered the words of just eating people alive. But who's going to be the king of your life? Who's going to be the number one in your heart? Who's going to take first place? Who's going to be in the circle, king of the circle? Is it going to be God in the center or or you? Well, I welcome you today as we continue in our series, the story. We're going to look at Daniel in exile. Let me give you a little recap to catch us up. Judah is in exile. They had not put God first in their lives. You know we've been talking about idols. The reason God's people were where they were is because of idols. Started with Solomon, by the way. Solomon was the wisest man who's ever lived, according to Scripture. I'm not sure that that's really true, because the guy that would have that many wives and concubines, you got to make makes you wonder, doesn't it? But he did that to keep peace with the with the neighboring nations, and those women did something that is hard to believe, but they brought their false gods with them. And then they pouted. Women can do that really, really well. They pouted until Solomon would accept their false god. See, God made women a certain way. And they know how to do that. They know how to get to you. love the story of Samson, don't you? Especially the section where Delilah, it says that Delilah pressed him, pressed him Pressed him, pressed him every day to find out where his strength was. And I think about that pressing him, I think that's called nagging today. Amen? Bible said it would be better to live under a dripping roof than under the, with a contentious woman. Well, you guys are awful quiet today. You, you doing alright out there? Are y'all awake? Alright, throw your hands up. Woo! Okay, three of you. That's great. All right. That's wonderful. Idol worship. Defined as putting something or someone in the place that only God deserves to be. Putting something or someone in the place that only God deserves to be. That's idol worship. It can be money, careers, relationships. Even family you can get in the way. But at the heart of it all, and the heart that drives us to put something else or someone else in the place of God, is pure self centeredness. How many of you know somebody that struggles with self centeredness? How many of you believe you struggle with it? Ah, okay. I love this. Okay, Yeah, I'm halfway now. Yeah, yeah. Only the preacher can see this. All right. Okay, right. I'm not going way up here. Right. That's right. Daniel is a great character in the Bible. Somebody pointed out in Sunday school this morning that Daniel, likewise, had great wisdom. The difference between Daniel and Solomon is that Daniel actually was consistent and never compromised. See, God can do incredible supernatural things through his believers who have him on their hearts thrown and who will not compromise what they are. If you live in the Middle East right now and you are a Christian, doesn't matter what little country you're in over there, they're killing you. The Muslims are killing you. Well, guess what? They're coming. They're coming. Hadn't happened yet in America, has it? But it's coming. It will come. It's a little bit slower and more subtle here. It's through the laws that get passed. Preachers are... Banned from speaking the truth of Scripture in certain situations into the lives of people who are in sin. You see, lying and homosexuality in God's eyes are the same. In our eyes, we think, oh my goodness, why? Wow. How about let's take murder and disobedience to parents. In God's eyes, are the same, are they not? But somehow in our eyes, we think, wow, that one's a whole lot worse than this one. You see how we've been conditioned? Because all sin is what created the cross and Christ to be on it anyway. Something had to redeem us back to the Father. Someone. And it was a blood sacrifice that had to happen. See, that policy has not changed from the Garden of Eden... Through this day, till the time he returns, it will still be a blood sacrifice that had to be given. And the beautiful part of it is once and for all he did it at Calvary. So we don't have to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats anymore. Hallelujah. But Daniel is such a great person. He was taken captive in Babylon. Babylon, by the way, is the modern day Iraq. Did you know that? A lot of our historical sites are in Iraq. You think the Muslims are going to let us come in and look at them? No, they don't want us to come in there. But there's three lessons, there's three themes that recur through the book of Daniel. And I just want to look at three of them because we can learn a lot from them. The first one is in chapter 1. Of the book of Daniel. So have you have those Bibles that you held up earlier, let's turn there. And I want us to read a little bit together. So we're going to take a look at... Okay, preacher, slow down. Here we go. We're going to look at... Verse 3. Begin at verse 3 of chapter 1. Then the king ordered... Uh, Ashpenaz, I love that, his chief of staff, to bring the, to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So you see, they were captive, so he wanted them to bring these young men in. Not the old guys, but the young men. Now jump down to verse 5. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Now jump down to verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat these unacceptable foods. So you see, and his diet was very important. Okay? Now jump down to verse uh, 12. please let test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water Daniel said. At the end of the ten days see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food then make your decision in light of what you see. I jump down to verse 15. At the end of ten days Daniel and his three friends looked healthier, And better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So I'm sure all the rest of those guys were grateful. That Daniel got them to have broccoli and cauliflower and water. Over the meat and all the other stuff. At the king's table. So you see. Point number one. Chapter one. On your outline there, the diet, we find this truth, this lesson. When first place is uncertain, it's easy. It's easy to adopt the standards of those around you. When first place is uncertain, when God's not on the throne of your heart, when God's not the master of your life, it's easy to adopt the standards of those around you. Daniel, now they, I mean, he and his friends had to go. They could have compromised and just said, "You know what? You, you know we're we're in siege here. We're under we're in captivity, and so we better do what this king says." But they didn't. They didn't do that. How do I know what you enjoy doing, especially if you? Or a traveling person and you have to keep a, a, an expense account. Let's see what you spend your money on. Or better yet, spend the company's money on. Uh, Cindy has shared with me some of uh, the former salesmen that would travel. It, it wasn't anything but that guy to spend $10,000 just on whining and dining customers. I think he was whining and dining himself, it sounded like to me, more than the, the customers. But, you know, isn't that sad? That he didn't have any more compassion or or, or concern for his own company? I I mean, I don't need to... If I'm gone for a week, I think I can eat on less than (laughs) $10,000. Amen? Even in a whole month. Even a whole month. That guy must have went to buffet after buffet after buffet. How about some of the videos that you might watch when the guys are together? Or better yet, when the girls are together. Uh Oh, I know. I know the girls all get together and they watch um, the Food Network. How to prepare different meals so you can surprise your husband. Amen? And that's what the girls watch. Oh, the guys get together and they watch sports, right? Mm Mm-hmm. How about gossiping about your neighbor? You ever get caught up in that? It's easy to get caught up in, by the way. But if you put God first, it pays off. Putting God first pays off. So, when first place is uncertain, it's easy to adopt the standards of those around you. Let's look at the second section. Jump over to chapter 3, Daniel. Daniel story of the fiery furnace. We're going to pick it up at verse 9. Verse 9. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews... Shadrach, Meshach, and away we go, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and away we go be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you refuse to serve my gods and to worship the gold statue i have set up i will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue i have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments but if you refuse you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and then what god will be, then then what god will be able to rescue you from my power 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, you might want to underline that, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Not might save us, not we hope will save us, he says will be able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the god or the gold statue that you've set up. Woo! Man, we need some of those kind of leaders in Washington, D.C. (laughs) But we don't have any. We need them down in Oklahoma City. We need them across the street. We need some leaders who will stand for God. It would be an absolute incredible experience to see this country turned around because the leadership, it starts at the top by the way, the leadership who would choose to follow God, honor God, promote God. I mean, we've kicked him out for a lot of years. How's that working for us, as Dr. Phil says? We need him in our churches. Oh, mercy. It starts here. Need him here. And then it should go into our homes. But the fiery furnace teaches us this lesson. When first place is uncertain, when God's not on the throne of your heart, it's easy to adopt the idols of those around you. It's easy to adopt the idols of those around you. Now, our idols may not be gold idols or carved statues, but they're idols, they're gods nonetheless, such as sports, sports, and more sports. Congratulations, Coach Bryant, team, I think, track team for state champions. It's because of this fine, fine coach right here. Has nothing to do with the men running the game. This man right here, he walks on the track. They all fall down. In ah, oh. no, that's quite an accomplishment. Our uh, our boys' uh, baseball team, almost, almost, but for a bad pitch. <laughs> that's all it takes. All it takes. But sports. Our families, our cars, our houses, our careers, they can get in the way. Our prestige, our pride can get in the way. But if you'll put God first, there's a great payoff when you put God first. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, nine times out of ten, they were about 16, 17, like these guys on the front row. They were making this kind of a stand in front of the king of Babylon. So you say, well, these young people, they can't do it. Yeah, they can do it if they choose to do it. Yeah. But we can't get too hard on the kids until we adults show them how to get it, do it. And we're not showing them either, are we? Yeah. Say, well, we kind of cower back. We, you don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know. Mm, 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 mm. So you can cut into your lifestyle if people know you're a believer. Amen. And there's plenty of them saying they're believers, they're followers of God, but I think they're just fans more than their followers. Amen? <laughs> now the third story and the third point I want you to pick up today is in chapter six. Chapter six. Turn over there to chapter six. We're going to pick it up at verse verse four. Chapter six. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was. And, oh, by the way, you know what happened? They, threw, they went ahead and threw him into the fiery furnace. King looks in and he goes, Didn't we throw three in there? How come there's four? See, <laughs> the angel of the Lord showed up. angel of the Lord showed up. God shows up in those times when we stand for him. Now let's go look at, at the lion's den. So the administrators and high officials began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Man, look at those three characteristics he he showed. Verse 5. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So they knew Daniel was a non-compromising person. He would not compromise who he was as a believer. Verse 6, So the administrators and the high officials went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We we administrators officials, high, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue that." And signed this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Here it is, verse verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual. In his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed where he had prayed three times a day. And underline this, just as he had always done just as he had always done. Or as was his habit. Giving thanks to his God. Daniel was known for his consistency in his faith. He prayed three times a day. Three times a day. Now we've got to make concessions for every Muslim in this country. They gotta have a time to pray four or five times a day, gotta have their mat, and they gotta face the east toward Mecca to pray. So, if that's the case, then they should make concessions for us as Christians to every day be able to get down on our knees and pray to the east to Jerusalem to our Almighty God. Right? Guarantee you they won't let you do it. They'll throw you in jail for insubordination. And then you convert those in jail. That'd be fun too. Now let's jump down to verse 13 of Daniel 6. Let's see how this works out. Then they told the king, That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. And in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Wow! Even King Darius knew that Daniel's God was a powerful God. Because he saw the way that Daniel lived. So you know, they threw him in the lion's den. And he and the lions sat down and had dinner together. No, they didn't. The lions just walked around him. Because again, that hedge of protection was all over Daniel. And I bet those lions were hungry. I bet you could hear them growling. Him hear, hear them licking their teeth and their lips. They were ready. Throw that boy down here. Of course they may not have wanted him because all he was eating was vegetables and water. <laughs> really? And he threw me down there, the lions are going, uh-uh, uh-uh, buffet. <laughs> yeah. So the lions den third lesson I want you to take away today. When the first place is uncertain, if you're not sure who's on the throne of your heart, it's easy to adopt the habits of those around you. So if you neglect things like not going to church, not praying, doing the things the world offers for you to do, and you're not making consistency in your life a part of what God would do in your life, Then there's going to be some habits that get developed, and they're not good habits. But putting God first pays off. But the bottom line to all of these three stories is is that you will never regret putting God first. You will never, ever regret, regret putting God first. I could have you testify and testify and testify that you put God first. And when you did, look what happened. Look what happened. People will say it's coincidence. Some will say you were lucky. Some will say, well, wow. But they don't, they can't explain it. It's a lot easier just simply to say, look what God did. Look what God did. Because He shows up all the time to do incredible things. Amen? All the time. Because so much of this has to do with time and money. One of the things that you've heard. Uh, it said before, is that give to God the, the first few hours of your week, the first few minutes of your day, and the first few dollars of your paycheck. Stop it. God says, put me to the test. And when you put me first, see if I won't come through. But the alternative, that's from a story of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had to go through this contrast in order to learn from God. Now Nebuchadnezzar had everything, he was very powerful. Had it all. When he conquered Zedekiah, he had him killed and plucked his eyes, plucked the eyes out. And, and then in chapter four of Daniel. There's something shocking written about Nebuchadnezzar himself. Let's take a look at it. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how powerful His wonders, His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. Well, what caused that to happen? Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and in the dream, he couldn't figure out what it meant. He needed somebody to tell him. So, jump down to Daniel four, verses twenty-five. Verse twenty-five says this: "You will be driven from the human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew." Of heaven. So Daniel is saying. Though you have it all now. If you don't change. And you don't stay with God. Guess what? Here's what's going to happen. So your life is going to fall apart. Now how many of you could testify. In your own life. Or in those that you know. Who rejected God. Walked away from God. Started making choices away from God. Developing habits that led them away from God. as your life didn't fall apart. Man, we know him, we know him. I look at him in the mirror. <laughs> when my life is struggling, I go look in the mirror, and I realize why I'm struggling. Nebuchadnezzar, however, didn't listen, didn't care, because life was all about him. See, it's easy to make life all about you, to be full of yourself. But you are not God. Life is not about you. You are not the center of the universe. And everything doesn't revolve around you. Sorry if I woke you up. (laughs) But it doesn't revolve around you. In just a few weeks, we're going to take some kids in in that bus and we're going to head to Tennessee. And I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I want them to learn to behave, I want them to learn respect, and I want them to learn how to treat each other. And that's before we leave this parking lot. (laughs) Because it's important. It's very important. So parents, grandparents, I may have to call you from Memphis and say, pick up your kids, they're on the Mississippi line, or wherever that is. (laughs) Tennessee line. They're still in Arkansas. They're on I-40. and mile marker, I don't know what it is. Because life is not about each one of them. Life is about Jesus. And the more we put God in, the greater it becomes. Amen? That's right. So what causes you to seek happiness? I mean, it's like it's you can't be satisfied. There's a disease called Prater-Willi disorder. I'd never heard of it doing the research study. Prater willi disorder. It's a genetic disorder, actually, where a person is always hungry and they're never satisfied. Always hungry and they're never satisfied. And they just eat, 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 eat and they can't, they can't stop eating because it's just a disorder that's within them. It is true. It is true. I've often thought maybe I have that. But I don't. I can stop if I want to. But it's getting between the ears to make that decision that's the toughest part of the journey. Food's not the problem. Amen? Food's not the problem. The problem with food is between my ears. And I can't blame you. I have to look at me. I'd go look in that mirror again. Not a fun trip. But why do we do what we do? Who gets the credit for what we do? And what's the purpose in our life? God's people are characterized by putting Him first. And that's all God ever wanted. That's all He ever wanted. I mean, He put it first and have no other gods before me. We're okay with inviting God into the boardroom. As long as I'm still the chairman. <laughs> you know, God, He can come, but I'm still the chairman. The problem is, God doesn't want this. He doesn't want just to be a partner. He wants to be at the head of the table. Daniel four twenty seven says, "King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Uh, break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper." Then verse thirty four. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and uh, my sa- sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the One who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and His kingdom is eternal. Is that not awesome? To see a man turn from self-centeredness then to, into, he says, my sanity has returned. <laughs> it took a lot to get King Nebuchadnezzar to this point to get off the throne of his own heart. So the question is, what's it going to take to get you off the throne of your heart and get God back on it? And you might be saying, well, preacher, you don't know that that hadn't happened in my life. You're right. But by their fruits, you will know them. How are we doing with that? A lot to be done. Lots to be considered. Lots of work to be volunteered for like to have a bulletin insert that has items for you to consider helping with. One of them's already been taken off the list. I'll I'll go over it in a minute. I'm excited. Person said, I want to I want to serve. They come serve. They've been here every week. It's awesome. Frees me up to do one other thing. But what are you going to have to experience in life to convince you that you're not number one? What would it take for you to learn like Nebuchadnezzar? There will come a day. If you keep living the way you're living, there's going to come a day in Philippians chapter 2, where it says that He gave Him a name above every name, and that the name of Jesus Christ every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. You're going to confess Him. You're going to bow to Him. You will. You will bow to Almighty God. You need to do it now, or do it then. Now would be a better time. <laughs> then won't be so hot. You ever felt forced to do something? You will on that day. You will on that day. So wouldn't it be better to go and have that relationship with God going right now? That'd be awesome. And you don't have to worry about it. Because when He comes back, you can go, woo let's go. Spread your wings and fly. Amen. Let's do it. Later in chapter 9, Daniel goes into prophecy and he talks about an anointed king who's coming. Well, guess who that is? It's a prophecy about Jesus. It predicts specifically the time when Jesus was to be born. It's so accurate that we believe that that's the source of information. Lot Many commentators believe this. It's a source of information that the Magi from the East would use to come to bring gifts to the king born king of the Jews. And Jesus would come and say, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to myself. And what God's always wanted is to live in community with His people. So who's number one in your life and who is on the throne of your heart? One of my heroes of the faith is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He knew the cost of discipleship and from his study of Scripture, he authored a book by the same name Where, in that book he wrote this. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the kingly rule of Christ. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Above all, grace is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor and seminary professor, studied scripture diligently. Meditated, prayed daily, discipled young men in seminary. Spoke worldwide. But more than that, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life choices exposed the depth of his commitment to Christ. And as a young man in his 20s and 30s, he sought reformations in the German National Church. He repudiated the blatant neglect of the gospel and he resisted the influence of the Nazis. In the early 30s, he studied at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Bonhoeffer knew the cost of discipleship from the life choices that he made. Discipleship was more than an academic pursuit by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In fact, in June of 1939, he knew that war was imminent. He accepted an offer to return to New York to teach. He knew, however, that in his heart, his place was in Germany. So a month later, he returned to Germany to actively resist the cruel power of the Nazi regime, to boldly lead the underground confessing church movement, and to fight against evil. He was arrested in April of 1943, and a year later, on April 9, 1944, at the age of 39, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged in a concentration camp in Flossenburg, Germany. Three days before the camp was liberated by the Allied forces. In 1942, he wrote a letter to his close friends and he said this, Who stands firm, only the one for whom the final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all these When in faith and sole allegiance to God, he is called to obedient and responsible action. The responsible person whose life will be nothing but an answer to God's question and call. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a 20th century martyr, faced the hangman's noose for living out his faith. And yet his question remains for all time. Who stands firm? Who stands firm? Father, we ask You this morning to be very real in our lives. We need You in this hour more than we've ever needed You, God. Our country needs You. Our churches need You. This church needs You. We need a fresh wind of Your Spirit to blow through this place. Father, we need people to get off center. We need people to get off the pew. We need people who will stand and be firm and be counted for You. Oh, there's so much to be done. So little time to get it done. And so, Father, as in the Old Testament, we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how they were willing to stand firm. Never compromising. And God, I will always thank you for men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who are willing to stand in the face of opposition and evil. Even losing their life because of it. And yet, stood firm. God, is there one in this room today? Is there a young person in this room today who would say, I'm going to stand firm, preacher. I'm going to stand firm for God. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be a difference maker. I've got a friend that doesn't know you and I'm going to do my best with the power of God, with the leading of the Holy Spirit to bring that person to a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Would would there just be one? Would there be an adult who would say, you know what, I need to Make sure that I'm living the right kind of life and I need to clean up my act and I need to be a good example. So I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to do some more things for the church and with the young people. I don't know what decision needs to be made, God, but You do. You know every heart in this room. But I do know one thing. This church would never be the same if one person would catch fire One person would say, I'll stand firm. One person would surrender completely, totally, wholly to you. If there's anybody today needs to make a decision of any kind, God, would you prompt their heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.